We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Everybody, Steve with Sesvidale. I'm coming at you with another book review, Overcoming Worldly Concerns by Archbishop Alburn Goodyear, SJ. Obviously, if you're probably looking to my left, your right, that doesn't look like Alburn Goodyear right there. Uh, that's <laughs> Michael Lichens, thankfully, talking about this because Alburn is not around to do this interview. Uh, time conditions, in, in a way, so he's he's in the, he's in the other side. <laughs> Uh, so, Michael, thank you for coming on. He's a fan of uh, uh, Archbishop Goodyear's work, as I, I know a couple of books, but I'm sure you're more well-read. So thank you for coming on. How you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on today. So who is the Archbishop Goodyear? He is one of those great spiritual writers from the early 20th century that has just disappeared in uh, popular imagination because he died in 1939. So we had so many wonderful spiritual writers in the post-war era, but I think he's a gem from the late 19th, early 20th century that we really should remember. He was, uh, he helped with the Jesuits in, of course, Oxford and all over England before he was eventually moved over to Bombay, India where he served as the archbishop there, one of the last uh, non-Indian archbishops, I believe. I think the one after him was the last one before it became Native Indians who held that position. But he served there for years, got a reputation for very practical, reachable spiritual advice, usually encouraging people to look at the saints and copy what they do. And that was a success for him. Yeah, I'm glad that they uh, put a couple of his uh, uh, alphamorisms in here. A friend is a friend who comes in when the whole world has gone out. And the uh, the enthusiastic to those who are not are always something of a trial. Yes. <laughs> yeah, think about that one. That was, that was a, that's solid, especially when times need and things like that. But how many of us are joking, laughing, and like Michael is just – he's. Michael's a joyous guy. I'm laughing. People get mad at people, uh, myself and others for joking too much or laughing too much. And we're supposed to be in this time of, you know, you hear about all the bad news, which there's plenty oh, yeah. of. So I guess we're supposed to go in the corner and pout and sulk. And <laughs> the, I, I always bring up the Archbishop of, uh, 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 of uh, Vietnam for uh, the martyr, the martyr, uh, the, the original little flower. My name just escapes me right now. Uh, Theophane, St. Theophane. Yeah. And his, uh, the bishop's motto is three cheers for joy. And that's all his <laughs> priests are getting killed, martyred, torn apart. And he still said three cheers for joy. Absolutely. And it's also, I think of Thomas More, who had this great line that the devil cannot bear to be laughed at. 
And there's something to, uh, that's always been my theme from St. Thomas More is that when evil is really overcoming you, it's one thing evil does not have is joyous laughter and it doesn't know what to do in that phase. Uh, you know, we laughter can of course be distraction. It can be a door to sin, but I think the joyful, the enjoyment of each other and finding joy in each other and that laughter it brings is one of the greatest weapons we have against the devil and his arrows. Yeah, there was a, and I, you, I don't know if you can see it above me, but the uh, the altar piece. Yeah, it's it's translation is uh, walking joyfully. <laughs> and, and that's what's written right above the altar, right there, and that's them getting gutted. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we have to have that joy. Now, yeah, again, not not acting like the Joker from the Batman or anything like exactly. that. <laughs> so, overcoming worldly concerns. That's a that's a great title for anything today as well. I mean, I'm sure it was back in the mm-hmm. late, late 1800s for him, but uh, why this book for being republished? I think it's because of the fact that it's very easy to be concerned when we were considering, whenever we talk about spiritual works that should be reprinted and put back out there, our big question is, does this help us engage with something that people are struggling with now? And worldly concerns that you almost well, kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning you're almost treated as kind of insane if you're not refreshing the news every 30 seconds if you're not going on social media to get the latest opinions you're kind of treated as if well are you paying attention even it's like yes i am but also the christian life realizes that this world is not all there is to human existence and while we do need to be concerned about our neighbors our loved ones, we don't necessarily have to be obsessed with this world because we know there is something greater beyond it. And we should also be concerned about that it, life of our souls as well. Yeah, I mentioned uh, Garanger on the off before we yeah. started recording and, and Peter and Paul, the feast day, he writes about the epistle commentary, mentions that this little town, a little, little hut of people praying had more power than the entire army that was holding Peter in jail at that time, hoping mm-hmm. against hope, and was able to end up bringing down an angel to wake wake Peter up. If that's and he actually brings that up. Maybe we need to wake Peter up today. And he was talking about the Pope back then, not saying Pius IX was bad or anything, but mm-hmm. he was even bringing that up. But yeah, prayer will do more than uh, picketing, protesting. I think RJ actually says that too a m- couple months back. The Catholic way is not protesting. It's not picketing. It's getting on your knees and really strive, hitting heaven up for things. Become saints yourself. Yeah. And in fact, Archbishop Goudier, in all of his writing, uh, we had previously republished, and I had this as my bedside book for years called Saints for Sinners, that, you know, the saints for gamblers, the saint, you know, will give you an example of a saint who had a particular struggle that many of us will have today at you know, the saint who had impatience and things like that. It's showing that uh, there's a great line actually in the book. I'm trying to find, yeah. The, whatever else they were, they were men. Eccentric, if you like. Offensive, if you like. Fanatical, misguided. But tingling essences of human nature, humanity, it's boiling point. Basically, they he likes to remind people over and over again, especially in this book, that the saints, they had... Some of them had supernatural guidance. Many of them had particular revelations, but otherwise they were just like you and me. They struggled with impatience. There were people that annoyed them. They had trouble with their anger. 
but when we see that we shouldn't go necessarily that oh well if they were human everything's okay it's more that they overcame it and they have the wisdom and the ability to show us how to overcome it too <laughs> you go back to peter and paul peter yes our lord <laughs> Paul was killing his, his followers. I mean, they, they both had massive conversions. Absolutely. Like, yeah, you think about that with St. Peter, you know, the one we started the papacy with, the very person. Uh, I think there's a line from Chesterton, something like the, the greatest chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So God made sure to get us our weakest link immediately by a guy who denied uh, Jesus three times. We know from the Quo Vadis story that he almost did it again, wanted to walk away from his calling once, you know, at the very end of life before seeing Christ going back to Rome to be crucified all over again. It, he was not at all what we would call perfect. Like most of us probably wouldn't even want to elect him to our parish council. Not, and yet he was running the whole church then. And some churches they won't let Christ run the council. So. <laughs> Very true. Too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but you brought up the saints. There was a chapter here. The saints prove that you can overcome weakness and temptation. Is that kind of a spinoff chapter from the Saints and Sinners book? It deals with a lot of the exact same themes. The Saints for Sinners, he goes into more, he usually picks one sinner for Sorry, one saint for each sinner in a chapter. So he'll do Ignatius of Loyola for those who are wasting their time. And uh, how Ignatius saw his two broken legs and his time of immobility actually as a gift. And it was taken an inconvenience and realizing it was actually an adventure with St. Ignatius' secret. And then he goes through the other secrets of the saints. And that's all... I'll say not just in that chapter, but in almost every chapter, he'll find a saint for you to show that, look, you they prove you can overcome temptation. They prove that you can overcome the weaknesses that you struggle with every day. Because uh, it's often, no matter what your struggle is, whether it's lust, gambling, or in my case, it's just, you know, that overwhelming sense of doom I often have. It's so lovely to go back and find a saint who very much shared that mindset and had that personality that's similar to what I have and go, okay, well, if they could do something good with it, hopefully there's something I can do other than just, you know, punching holes in my wall. <laughs> well, and it goes back to Aquinas saying that to his sister, if you want to be a saint, will it, it's not some kind of, not, buy the, get the books to read, but it's not, a, there's not a book saying, here's how you be a saint. It's yes. You want it or not, but I mean, you could have a book like that, but still, if you don't have the will to read it, yes, you have the will to actually pick up something or do something, or just like sport, always bring up sports. If you want to make a team, you have to, you want it, you want to make it, you want to get on that starting lineup, yeah. you do everything you can to, to make the team. You practice, you, you, you eat right, you sleep right, you do everything you can, but in the spiritual life, do we have that same heart for it? Yes, exactly. And the something Archbishop Goodyear recommends is starting with the small things and getting good at the small things. Yeah. And that's as old as spiritual advice as you can get. Like, you know, even Jesus, what does he tell you to do? It's not go out and immediately save the world in your image. It's feed your neighbor. It's the simple things we can do in our own life. Like, and it makes it so much easier because I can't fix our political system. 
I, I don't have that power. I wish I did. But if my neighbor is hungry or lonely, that's something well within my ability to fix. And, uh, you know, if you're not good at cooking, that's okay. You're still learning. And part of uh, the spiritual life, like sports, like cooking, like writing, you have to take that first step and want to do it first. And then the rest will come as it comes. That goes into my, well, I stole it from Brian McClanahan at the Abbeville Institute. Act locally, think locally. Okay. Even if, <laughs> even if you bring it to a local level, you can't, you might not be able to fix your governor right off the bat, but no. you can take care of your neighborhood. You can take care of your neighbors. You can take care of your community, your parish, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, from a personal thing, I can tell you right now, I am probably Catholic because when I was first, when I first converted and I was really struggling with what it even means to be Catholic and how to do it. I had uh, some very kind neighbors who would just give me a ride to church on Sundays. And it was a very little thing that took almost no time out of their lives. But for me, it was the greatest help in the world because not only did I have a reliable ride to mass when I was first learning to be Catholic, I had people I had a little bit of community with going to and from mass. We didn't talk very much, but that little action that was no work for them probably saved my spiritual life. Speaking of uh, uh, what you can do personally, there's a chapter 17. You are called yes. to heroism. And there's a part on there, kind of in the will thing that we just mentioned. It is true this type is not common. Not every man is a hero, whatever he might be or might once have been. Time saps enthusiasm. goes back to the, uh, are you enthusiastic about what, you are, what you're doing, what you want to do, get to heaven? Are you, how how much enthusiasm is in coach always pre preached have enthusiasm for what you're doing you, you know if you're getting before mm -hmm. a game you'd be excited for it you're not just like ho hum you go to mass enthusiastic you go to prayer enthusiastic it's practice that one as you said one little thing good uh, do it better and better and better can you get enthusiastic a little bit better more and more each day because it becomes easier to submit and justify our submission than to stand up and be shot for nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that chapter has so many great little lines. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks about the types of men and what type you should be aiming for, and he also compares the spiritual life to aging, which I thought was very helpful. Yeah. Uh, and he, but and he mentions like towards the end, it's true. Not every person looks heroic not all of us are going to win i think he uses the example of the victoria cross yep you know we're not all going to win that and but god isn't calling for us to win medals or anything he's calling us to be faithful and faithful in the little things will mean that the greater things become much easier to do and you literally before i, I jumped on that topic yeah you basically brought up the chapter uh what well, i just lost it uh of uh, 20 you influence others by your example yes oh that's a great one and that one is that is such a hard thing to internalize and appreciate because i think especially i think parents understand this at some point like you know every parent has told me if you want your kid to read you need to be reading and things like that i think parents can kind of understand that but for a lot of us we don't realize how powerful our example can be. Like even, uh, you know, the epistles tell us that we need to be an example of love, ambassadors to Christ. And we 
hear that a lot, but I don't think we ever internalize how powerful that example can be. But any of us who are still Catholic in this day and age, we probably have someone in mind we think of and we think about them, how they were able to do Catholicism in a way that made it look easy compared to how we do it. And that person may not even know what an example they were being. They may not know what an influence in my life. It's often been nuns and uh, the typical working dad in my parish who has given me the most inspiration and guidance because they make it look easy. And I just want that to to be my life. Well, you you mentioned we mentioned about the problems in the political sphere, et cetera. Here's a uh, one towards the end of the chapter. Talks about, we may resent, we may cry out with Cain, am I my brother's keeper? We may close our eyes to our surroundings. We may shut ourselves up, like the Benedict option, in our castles and defend ourselves with moats and drawbridge. The fact will still remain that a man cannot be a good man without making other men better. A man cannot be bad without other men being the worst for it. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. we are part, we are all tied, we're in this together, as you heard yes. before. <laughs> no, that's again a very Catholic uh, uh, take on faith and the life of the church because I think so much in America is about individualism, especially our consumer culture. You know, what do you want? If you have the money, whatever you want, it's good. Uh, jokingly, if it's good for the soul, it's good for sales, they'll say, <laughs> or if it's good for sales, it's good for the soul. But we don't realize how much, like when you look at the at the Christian life, especially the pre-20th century Christian understanding of community, God wants us to be concerned with our own soul, but he wants us just as deeply concerned with the souls of our neighbors as well. He doesn't want us, we're not here as individual island souls that only exist by ourselves and our actions have no effect on people. Our good acts will radiate our bad acts will radiate uh something he takes pains to talk about even towards the beginning of the first chapter that all of us who are trying to do to live the christian life will have an effect on our community even if we don't see it immediately yeah and it goes back to maybe burying your talent to me yes (laughs) we're gonna you hear that a lot today about people just trying we're closing a door we're not letting anybody in. We're going to protect everybody from the outside, which is in the mind a good thing you should protect. But it's that, as you said, building a moat, a moat putting the drawbridge up, mm-hmm. keeping everything out. You're you're putting the light in the bushel, basically. Yeah, exactly. And if you even look at, especially his life as a Jesuit, a lot of people have this mistaken understanding that religious orders and monastic orders are there so that you can escape the world and go inside. But if you talk to any religious person, uh, anyone who's in a religious order, they'll tell you that becoming a member of an order like the Jesuits or the Benedictines is in fact to take the hard path. It's to confront everything that's inside of you so that you can go out into the world and be the messengers of Christ you're called to be. But yeah, we are not called, it's the strangest part of the Christian message. We are just, we need to ask God to save our souls because we can't do it by ourselves. And then we further have to ask God, well, can you help me save the souls of the people around me? Cause I can't do it either. I can't even save myself. And this becomes the strangest calling of Christianity to become saints. So we can show other people how they can become saints. 
Hey, I mean, even uh, that Francis uh, Sissy story about him just yeah. walking around town, and the his it was a brother said, "Hey, I thought we were going to be preaching. We did. Even something <laughs> as simple as that, because Francis was a preacher. Anybody out there says he preached. Yes, <laughs> but he no. preached many ways. Of uh, Saint Philip Neri got the nickname the Socrates of Rome before he was known for his saintliness because his ministry was mostly going around talking to people, asking them questions, learning about them, but then trying to challenge them in a way with usually the Socratic method, asking them questions. Well, what does that bring to you? What does that help you to do? And just doing that little work, he was usually not even, he wasn't pushing pamphlets in people's hands. He wasn't making telling people, hey, we're having a book, book club this Friday. <laughs> Though he would do that too. He would often have people reading books with him. But he, a lot of his ministry was walking around and engaging with people right where they were. But just to have, but you can imagine having St. Philip Neri asking you about your day, the amount people would report the immense love they felt just from asking him asking them questions was so great that people often followed him wondering, well, what do you have that I don't? I need that. And he, well, it, St. Philip Neri, you probably know members of his oratory. His ministry is spread all around the world now. Yeah, now today, if somebody walks up to you and asks that, they might look at you kind of weird. I mean, no, you can't <laughs> ask me something. Siri off my dumb phone is supposed to ask me. <laughs> I have a communication with Siri. I, I don't talk to people. I need my VR. Right. Um, now that Nowadays, we're so the opposite of that. I mean, you can't think of it. Just walking up to the street. Hey, how you doing today? Strike up a conversation. <laughs> no, I, I heard a joke once that it it's hard to do philosophy today because we're so worried everyone's trying to sell us something that if you go up to a crowd of people and ask what is the nature of man, they'll immediately go, are you a cop? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true, though. The only time people approach you in a store or anything or outside is, there, is the internet people or they're trying to sell you something. Hey, what do you have for today? And, oh, that's a cute kid. And, that leads right into that. I mean, I do that when I do evangelization. I will pick out something like somebody's wearing a, uh, I can't see the word Redskins anymore, the Washington Redskins jersey. That just popped in my head on that. Last time I saw somebody was that, hey, man, how's your season? And then get them talking, you get them to the table. But even just that, it's hard to do for most people. Mm -hmm. No, it's difficult. Like you said, like I know anytime people start a friendly conversation, I'm almost immediately like, all right, what are you selling, buddy? Yeah, what's and your yeah, and when they're just being friendly, it's uh, I I've seen this uh, done with the, some of the nuns I've befriended that because they'll randomly talk to people when they're in a store, and they're so it's so natural for them to do it, and I can't believe they're able to get through people's defenses so easily. Yeah, they're cute. Look, they're nice little nuns. They look the part. Yeah. Another part, everybody knows it. So they're. I remember a friend of mine. He's a redemptorist priest now. He walked in when he was at a seminary, and, and this is in Cowpen, South Carolina. Oh. There's no Catholics besides that. We were yeah. the Catholic church in Cowpen. <laughs> so at the time, my brother's in Catholic, and then he, now Father Martin, he's in he's in Catholic, and he walks into a 7-Eleven, and everybody just stops going, what? They haven't <laughs> seen that ever in their lives, and I guarantee they've never forgotten that. Oh, I'm sure. No, it's something I've seen with the religious orders that still wear the vestments and the old mm -hmm. habits is that they are able to get through so many people's defenses because from the outside, they're so clearly 
in the world but not of the world like their very attire tells you that and it's something i think we kind of missed out on after vatican ii like a lot of that the clothing tells everyone that these are people yes they're in the world they still have to eat they still have to figure out how to pay the light bulb uh, they have to figure out how to do all this but they are so radically yeah. outside of the world's concerns that it's kind of intriguing almost immediately i think we even do it with uh like i was reading somewhere that a lot of scammers now dress as buddhist monks to try to get through people's defenses because they notice that too and people will come up to them and ask yes exactly what happened to uh, now father people what are you and then <laughs> that opens up a conversation mm -hmm. oh, oh i can and go the opposite way too where i remember a dominican priest was on a college campus and because he was wearing the white robes the campus security thought he was a klansman and <laughs> set up a panic but he was not <laughs> uh, yeah that opens up a conversation for what the how the clan got that mob the mode of uh dress the attire from the uh Penitents in Spain. Because uh, I, I, you see that every so often. Well, we're getting off topic. Anyways, yes. <laughs> chapter four is one of my favorite titles. Mm -hmm. God calls you to take responsibility for your choices. And in one of his lines, we put the blame on others or on our circumstances or on our want of knowledge for things entirely our own fault. We plead ignorance, weakness, or inexperience. In a hundred ways, we wrinkle and writhe about to escape the pointing of the finger at us ownership as i love one of the biggest things of like of jocko willick's books is extreme ownership father uh uh father nolan uh brought me into that when i was out mm -hmm. in lincoln littleton and it just struck ownership on everything spiritual life especially like the blame the pope the bishops the priests yes. but you're still that's on when come judgment day you're not going to be able to blame the pope <laughs> no, as much as I'd love to blame my parish's uh, education, it's like, yep, uh, God's going to judge me, not my, you know, our catechist is going to be judged differently and on what God judges them on. <laughs> I love that chapter as well. I also, especially that particular line, there's also, I'm opening the book right now, but I recall that he was talking about that we can't, when it comes down to it, we can't put the blame on others that at the end of the day, we have to own it ourselves. But he mentions, ah, I cannot find it. This in many ways can have, can be very good for us because so much of the world is outside of our control. So much of, and I mean, you know, this just day to day, your job, you and I are lucky to work at Catholic media, but I've done the corporate gig and you know for a fact that your boss didn't give the order, his boss didn't give the order. Where did that order come from? Someone in North Carolina, we don't know. There's so much we have zero control over and that we're just at the mercy of the whims of someone else somewhere else or groups of someone else's somewhere else that it could be overwhelming. We think we have no control. And then there, here's this wonderful Christian message of like, yes, but... You can control what you are. You can work on yourself. You can be the man in your own life. But it also means a lot of responsibility. It, it goes back to a sports analogy. There, remember yes. you mentioned that my favorite jobs were when the it was I was ten ninety nine jobs. It was mm -hmm. up to me. Uh, there was no salary. It was commission only. 
it was up to you to get the job done. If you didn't do it, if you didn't, if you didn't close the deal, you didn't get paid for it. Whereas if you have salary, you know you have that thing coming back in. It's kind of like a pass net. You can blame others in a sense. Oh, well, John, Bill, Bill's not doing this. Or uh, sports-wise, the individual sports, yes. bowling, golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't blame a teammate in golf. You can't blame something. <laughs> you can't blame. You might be able to blame the oil in a bowling in a in a bowling lane, but then you can adjust. Yes. So, even in sports, you can't. You it's hard to blend. You have to take ownership of every decision and move and swing you make. And same thing in the spiritual life. You have to own up to talking bad or listening to blasphemy or blaspheming yourself or uh, being non enthusiastic in mass or prayer or anything like that. That all comes into owning it. Mm-hmm. No, and that includes owning the sins you've done, and that is. I almost feel like that is so countercultural now because usually when you've done something bad, I've seen this in my own personal life where it's like, okay, someone did something horrific or terrible. It's like, well, they had a rough childhood. They don't have a very good sense of where things are going. And I'm not saying those things aren't real. If you had a bad childhood, there's going to be some things that are going to be later for you to accept. But this calling, especially in the Christian calling of like, yes, all that is true. And while it's not your fault, it's still your responsibility, and only you can do anything about it. Only you can decide if you want to be saved or not. Only you can decide if you want God's love or not. And that puts the power right back in our hands, and it's both freeing but deeply concerning. Or in confession, when you're you get yes. your sins, or that old joke. All right, when this with the uh, the wife walks in and tells the sins of her husband and father goes, okay, now can I have yours? Or is he out there? Because can he bring him in for absolution? Yes. <laughs> no, I had a priest who often joked when he heard confessions. He always had to remind people, "I'm here to hear about your sins, yeah. not the sins of everyone in the parish." <laughs> and the next chapter was: "Is even your forgiven sins leave sorrow in your soul?" Hmm. Hmm. And this is, uh, he uses the great analogy, I think the first line is talking about doing great injury and comparing it to physical injuries. No matter what we do, our actions leave a mark on people. Uh, This gets into the whole responsibility, whether we're friends, how we treat our friends is part of our responsibility and whatever we do, good or ill, is going to leave a mark on people. And that's God is wonderful, and he has the grace and mercy to give to us that even our worst of sins, even if you're the bad thief on the cross, you, at the very last minute, asking that you can come into Christ's kingdom, you can be saved. God is wonderful and giving, but all of our actions, all of our decisions, even the ones we've been forgiven for, will leave a mark on people. I, I I know parents struggle with that all the time, that no matter what you're doing, you're going to leave a mark on your kids. And even if your children grow up to love and forgive you, that's still going to leave that memory to them. And it's a lovely, again, like so much of uh, Archbishop Goodyear's advice, it's freeing, but it also, with freedom, comes the responsibility that then gets stacked on your back. And uh, Augustine writes about that, where he quotes Augustine, and life spends itself in sorrowing, but indeed there is no amendment. Now this is a chapter of you can overcome weakness and temptation, but same point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he also discusses about contrition and why it's still necessary even after forgiveness has been given to us. 
uh, that we, part of contrition and part of remembering why our sins have affected people is understanding that even after forgiveness, the wages of sin still remain. There's still death. And we can see that even our small sins can leave. Uh, gossip is a good example we often use because all of us have seen where gossip has really destroyed a person's life. And it's like, but it was just words spoken in a whisper by people, and yet it has utterly ruined this person. And even when forgiveness is done, that person's life is still ruined by the gossip that we did. And it's a reminder that we should never rely on God's mercy as a liberty to sin as much as we want. In the uh, another one I earmarked, there was a gr the whole paragraph. Well, the whole chapter is fantastic, but the one on you must choose between good and evil, which correlates with every chapter is correlated together. I mean, it goes back to ownership. P you're picking good and evil. I mean, uh, there is no slavery like the slavery of evil. It saps the very desire of freedom. It blinds the eyes until they can see no other light. It stalks alongside like a hideous uh, specter, terrifying its drunken victims until they dare not look to right or to the left. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I love all lines in this. He has some great lines. Actually, one of my all time favorite lines in the book comes at the end of the chapter where he just cries, poor blinded human nature. You are made for better things than this. Yeah. And I think that is one of the heart, the heart of all of God's calling is that uh, Pope Benedict has that great line of you weren't made for comfort. You were made for greatness. God made us for way better things than to just be angry sinners. And it's a wonderful message in this time. What was it? I came up was it the, the Christmas message? Was it Leo the Great that said that? Uh, Christian, know your dignity. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I like the same. It's almost the same part. Know who you are, what you were made in God's dimension. Be better. Oh, every day. It's it's goes back to, the, you know, you, what you said at the beginning about doing something better every day. Or just the little things. You get up with that mm -hmm. mindset. I'm going to do this better today. I'm going to do today is it. You don't have tomorrow, as Augustine talked about. Be the best you can in everything you can do today. And then when the day's over, do it again tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about it is, uh, you know, this is a wisdom that goes all the way back to Aristotle. If you develop good habits, if you develop, you know, great yeah. instincts, be living a virtuous life is so much simpler after that uh doing the little things now like learning to be charitable and patient with people who might need a little more patient that's a hard one for me because i'm i yell at people in my car i'm not very patient so i'm learning but the nice thing is is as you do it every day it becomes so much easier than at the beginning until eventually you start to realize you're just not annoyed by people every day the way you were. I had it easy. I did Uber for four years. So I was oh my gosh. 12, day, 12 hours a day. So I remember when I went to, they had to take us to a health test every year and they took my blood pressure. I was, I don't know, it was like 110 over 70. They go, wow, you don't get really upset about anything. I go, do this job long enough. <laughs> No, talk about teaching Colorado. you patience. Oh, yeah, God. I was Colorado where traffic was nuts. And I would just sit there, people would zoom, 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 and you got to stay the course, keep focused, kind of like that. Yeah. Focus on your target. You got all these distractions, bad news here, bad news there, these temptations. You got to keep your eyes on the prize to be able to get to the end or you get thrown off course. 
No, I live in Denver, so I feel you in every yeah. <laughs> like I can't imagine having to drive in that twelve hours oh. a day. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean there was there was one dude I remember getting in the it was four fifty five p.m. It was on uh, just on the east side of uh, the west side of uh, I twenty five, right outside da- da- downtown. And he goes, I got a an air I got an airport uh, plane leaving at five thirty Thursday evening. I go buckle up, we're going to hit the off roads. Got there in 15 minutes. Well done. <laughs> he, he asked me, he goes, I asked him, so you trust me? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, because I'm going to take some roads you're going to think I'm going to dump your body out of. But we're going to get there. Because the traffic's so bad, you can get the back yep. roads. Yep. <laughs> Again, gets an idea. Get away from what everyone else was at the, uh, who was it? It wasn't Climacus. If you want to be a, uh, if you want to be saved like the few, live like the few. Yeah. Oh. Sounds like John Clemacus, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. See, everyone else is going this one route. You got to get off the beaten path and go do the harder things that isn't popular, isn't sexy, isn't nice looking to get to the end. Right. And that's exactly it. I, I talk about a lot in these interviews that sometimes I feel like the true Christian message will never sell conferences because, you know, all the rest of the world is saying, you can do it. Here's some great self-help books to show that you're the best person ever and everyone adores you. And then I, as the Catholic, have to stand up there and say, we're all going to die someday and we're all sinners. How do we reconcile that with our desire to be good people? And I wish that sold conferences. I do, but it doesn't always. But it does require, it is calling you to heroism like this book like uh, Archbishop Goodyear says, we are called to an extraordinary holiness. And when we look at it, go, that's impossible. That's why God answers us back with, well, with me, it's possible. All things are possible in God. There's that one, chapter 13, Christ has influenced the world more than any other person. Yes. (laughs) You just think about that. And the year Anno Domini, BC, everything is, everything is, we're like Christmas, even though it's hijacked by secular read, they still do it. Easter, <laughs> everyone still does it. it even it, when it, we changed it everything. to BCE and CE, well, we're still calling it from Christ. So, yes, <laughs> no, and he is uh, truly that's one of my favorite jokes, by the way. You know, like, oh, Christianity doesn't have any influence. Oh, yeah, what year is it? <laughs> and, um, but it's his, his line is, we do, not, we do not speak the year of Confucius, nor the year of Buddha, or the year of Luther, or the year of Napoleon. It's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. <laughs> yes. And it's also a mark like how much Christ, like when you think about it, if you were to remove all claims of divinity, which I don't know, not always the best idea, but if you were to just use your imagination, say, well, he was just a simple person living in the first couple decades of the common era or whatever he still had how did this homeless guy traveling around feeding people lunch change the world so phenomenally (laughs) it if you have to like get down to it it's like the only answer is again grace yeah i mean you could pretty much go through an atheist and mention a prodigal son and they'll know exactly what you're talking about they right. might hate everything of the stand you stand for, but they know of it. Exactly. They're not going to know. They might not know Gandhi's traveling or, or you know particular saints. They know the saints of Christ. Exactly. And what I say is the greatest 
victory of the Christian message. When people who are non-Christians are criticizing us, they're criticizing us for not following the Christian message, which please do. I want anyone who is not a Christian to please call us always like you're called to something better. And they do. They call, they tell us that like, you're not following the message that you claim to preach. And that's often the criticism we get thrown out to us. And that's, that can be frustrating because there's nothing like someone who doesn't even believe in it trying to judge you by that. But at the same time, it's such a mark to our work that when we are judged horribly, we're not judged by the standards of the world. Even then we're judged by our message and by what Christ has called us to do, even by the people who don't believe in Christ. There's a line at the end is the last chapter is Mary exemplifies the greatness of oh. your call. He goes, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the name of Mary, every head shall be lifted up. Yes. <laughs> uh, that whole chapter, like, obviously, I'm, I'm a mama's boy. I love Mary. But uh, in the name, and he also talks about that the name of Mary to us Catholics, it should make us proud. It should remind us of our special friendship that we're able to have uh, with the mother of Christ, who not only is the mother of Christ, that's enough of an accomplishment right there, but she is also our chief intercessor, the one who can, who is always praying for us. We know that at Fatima and the various apparitions, I'm going through the world of Marian apparitions again. So uh, we know every time she shows up, she is there because she is praying for us and she's concerned with us. And that's in many ways, she is a mother, not only to the Lord, but a mother to all of us. And it shows that Christ never left us lonely. There's a, uh, where did I see it at? I got it up on the Sensibilium site right now. It was, it, was, it was the afterlife, purgatory and heaven explained. Father du, uh, Dolindo. Yes. Uh, he, he has a segment on the on contemplating Mary. He goes, Father asked Bruno Cornicciola, the visions of Our Lady Revelation. The guy no one's familiar with. We have it on the website. He was going to kill the Pope. Pope Pius XII had the yes. dagger with his knife with his name on it, and just immediate conversion. Mm -hmm. And Bruno, uh, uh, Father asked him to describe to him the beauty of the Blessed Mother's face. Bruno answered, "It was a beauty beyond comparison, a most pure perfection of lines. All human beauty and all masterpieces of art disappear, disappear in comparison. Imagine a jewel case filled with the most precious stones." shining in the most brilliant colors. A light that fills with happiness does not dazzle. It changes at each expression with new light. Even compared with that, you would still, you still would not have the faintest idea of the beauty of her immaculate countenance. Uh, I love that story. The story of Bruno, just everything about that story is filled with so much hope and joy. The fact that he had that revelation at Tre Fontane, which is the site where Paul was executed in Rome and uh, so much about that. But what amazes me is that is a testament to Mary's, to the love Mary has and the grace that has been given to her that just the sight of her, this instance where a atheist killer wants to, you know, take out the Pope as a symbol is suddenly converted. And in an instant, he no longer has that hate that was driving him by just seeing the love of Mary's face. Yeah, and it wasn't like he just, okay, I'm not doing it anymore. I mean, he presented yes. the Pope, the, the, the knife, and then became like an almost St. Paulish style, went to convert other people. He went, he went out. He didn't, 
He didn't bar- barter the hedge. He didn't put the dock up. He didn't put a moat out. He went out. Yes. No, he changed completely. God had made him a new man and it helped him to bury the old man. And then he went out and showed everyone what the new man was. And that is, uh, it's amazing because he probably accomplished more in his small ministry, even though most of us don't know his name, but Bruno probably went out and accomplished more than any of us can do in our lifetimes by just that singular act of moving beyond the hate he had and being so moved by the love of Mary that he gave them, like you said, he gifted the knife that he was going to use to stab the Pope to the Pope. Uh, Then he also lived a life for his children. His wife reported that he was a much more loving and attentive husband after that. His whole life changed, and he was not afraid to show people that very love that he had felt. And and miracles are you know happening all the time at that place. So just mm-hmm. look it up. You know, I have a fourteen part thing on the website that Father did, and the the nuns have written me saying that 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 series alone has just increased the traffic there in a major way. Michael, what uh what else did I miss that you were wanting to hit on today on it? Oh gosh, uh, I would say uh, as an editor, this is maybe something I spend a little too much time thinking about but for me i love the way he uses the english language like everything the way he just has a way he'll take a sentence and in just one sentence will blow your mind with the way he is talking about a particular subject uh and in particular i think uh coming from the very beginning where he is talking about the secret of the saints let me see if i can find that but but actually this is one that was one of those lines it's a strange thing how little we catholics who make so much of devotion to saints really understand the secret of sanctity we read the lives of the saints and we are filled with reverence and and admiration we see their statues in our church and we honor them we look at their figures he goes on, but he points out, and yet when we come to understand the better, how much they are alike our own, the same kind of trials and temptations just seem overwhelming to us. And just the way he uses the language to flip our assumptions of like, okay, honor the saints. And then he takes us one step further to say, yeah, but you can be a saint. You're called to be a saint too. And we don't, we hear that a lot, but I think sometimes we really have a hard time accepting that. And uh, uh, was it the PO story when the lady's trying to rip his uh, robe off? And yeah, tells what are you doing? I'm trying to get a relic, make your own, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we could we can do it if we want. It goes back to the will, it do it. No one thinks about that. We can be it's not just something that for uh, people of older on the other side of the planet, you can do it, you can do it too. Just don't get the pride about it. I'm all that, yeah, but. Those guys thought of themselves as pretty much garbage. Just, you read the lies of those guys that we're, I'm the worst sinner because it's the whole idea of the more you know, the more you know how much you screwed up and you shouldn't have messed up. And you think you feel so bad about going, I know so much and I still fell. Mm-hmm. I am so, ter- I am terrible. At least that guy didn't know any better. You should know better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, and it's again the flip side of God's wonderful gifts to us. Um, to who much is given, much more is expected of them. If you were given great revelations, that's wonderful. 
God expects you to do something with that now. And that all of a sudden takes on a whole new light. So, Mike, again, the book is, I forgot what it is already, Overcoming Worldly Concerns by uh, Reverend Archbishop Alvin Goodyear. It'll be in the link in the show notes underneath. Sophia and Stu brought it back. Uh, along with, just click on his name right there, and you'll find more books by Goodyear, especially the ones, Saints and Sinners, that he was talking about before, and Good Galilean. I think there's others coming out, maybe. Yes. There's a photo of the dear Archbishop right there on the left. So if you have an idea of, oh, who am I reading about? Who's this guy? <laughs> and uh, Michael, appreciate your time on this. Uh, promote yourself. Tell us where they can find more of your uh, your work, too. Sure. Uh, currently passing the torch for Catholic Exchange, which has been a website I've been running for ages now, but turn it over to Kristen Van Uden, who's doing wonderful work right now. But you'll still find my writings there at CatholicExchange.com. And we also include excerpts on there from various books from Sophia and Stu Press. Very good. Very good. Appreciate everybody listening. Again, this will be in the uh, show notes. We'll have the links for everything that his uh, his websites, the book, etc. And again, I know I, I'm terrible at saying the following, but I'll try to remember now. Click like, subscribe, the bell, all that jazz. I, I never <laughs> say that. I think this is the first time in how many hundred of videos I've said that. I we are get I I do get shadow banned, believe it or not. So make sure you hit that bell and check out check it out every so often because you might get unsubscribed, not yes. because of me, because of our friends at Google. And uh anyway, God love you and take take care and I'll talk to you later. Appreciate it, Michael, appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Steve. It was a joy.